We just had our church staff party last Thursday, and after a time of sharing, praying, and dinner, we had a time for some games. Uh, it was really a wonderful time. There was lots of laughter, uh, joking around, a great time for a stretch of about two hours. I think we were making such a loud noise through our laughs uh, and our jokes uh, that in our private room, the server had to come in a few times to check in on us um, to make sure we weren't destroying the place. And no, there was no alcohol involved. Uh, it was just simply pure joy. Uh, with tummies full and hearts full of joy, I came home and uh, too full to sleep, I wrote in my electronic journal, one of the most spiritual things I've done all week. You may wonder, how can joy, how can laughter, how can celebration in the Christian life relate to spirituality? The answer may surprise you. One of my favorite quotes is by William Knight. He writes these words, Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. Isn't that great? Joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. How you exude joy, how you display joy in the Christian life, announces to the world that King Jesus resides in your heart. But for most of us, especially in our culture, our Asian culture, especially in our generation, young and old, we think that spiritual people are those who are quiet, they are reserved. They are contemplative in prayer. They are holed up in a room somewhere studying the Bible day and night in the original Greek and Hebrew. These are the spiritual people. And so we suppress laughter. We suppress joy. We don't celebrate publicly because we have the notion that if people see us doing those things, then they will think us unspiritual and we want people to think that we are spiritual. If this is your view of spirituality or Christ-likeness, then this would not be a biblical view of what a spirit-filled, spiritual, Christ-like person is. If you remember, one of the examples of the fruit of the Spirit found in the book of Galatians is joy. And it goes, love, joy, it's right there on the list, number two, right next to love. There's biblical evidence throughout the scriptures that we celebrate as a part of our walk with God. Celebration is a part of being a Christian. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 that there is celebration in heaven when one comes to know Christ. There is a party in heaven when one believer here on earth comes to know Christ. The Bible tells us we are to celebrate as we live for him. You know the verse well. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice Chuck Swindoll writes these words, let's remind ourselves that a healthy and well-exercised sense of humor is as much a mark of spirituality as being faithful in prayer and being committed to the truths of scriptures. I think God is delighted with the laughter that pours out of a joyful heart. We as Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, should be the most joyful, celebratory type of people where laughter reigns in our interaction with one another. It is that sort of exuberance that attracts the world to see how we can be so happy, 
how we can celebrate in the midst of suffering, how there can be joy amidst discouragement, how there can be hope in the midst of hopelessness. Let me ask you something. Would you be attracted to a group of men and women who are laughing and joyful or to a group of people who are sad and somber all the time? Of course, we are attracted to men and women who have a lot of fun and are celebrating If you study the scriptures, you will note that it is the explicit instruction of God that there is to be celebration. We look at the nation of Israel. Whenever there is a great work of God, the Lord commands that his people commemorate it through a celebration. We think of Passover, the celebration of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. We think of Purim, marking the deliverance of the Jewish people during the time of Queen Esther, thwarting the plans of Haman. And we can go on and on how God instructs his people to come together and celebrate and commemorate God's goodness. Why? Why are we to celebrate as a part of our spiritual discipline? Dorothy Greco writes these words, Despite his continued faithfulness, our memories tend to be short-term We so easily get distracted and are swallowed up by both the incidental and the enormous challenges of life that we forget the many times God has dropped manna and parted the water for us figuratively. When the bank account dips below minimum, the mechanics bill exceeds our weekly paycheck or the pathology report comes back positive, it feels more natural to shake our clenched fist at God than to organize a party. And that's why celebration is so crucial to our spiritual life. The very act of celebrating anchors us in a deep story, one that precedes any hardship and pain. It reminds us that in the midst of what we're going through, God has been good. God has been faithful. As we talk about celebrations, for some of you, you have no problem celebrating. But as you examine your life and how you celebrate and why you celebrate, what are, the cel- what are the things we celebrate for most in life? Well, we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. And in the millennial generation, monthsaries, whatever that is. We celebrate achievement in work, employment. We celebrate milestones like graduation, our favorite sports team winning, the grand opening of a movie, the passing of a, a big exam, a board examination. But I wonder as you make a laundry list of that which you celebrate, do you celebrate spiritual milestones? It's sad sometimes how few people come to celebrate with those who are professing their faith in water baptism. We have forgotten that in our culture of celebration, we are to celebrate the spiritual achievements more than the superficial, is our celebration really worth celebrating? Yes, as believers, we are to be the most joyful of all people, but if you would allow me this morning to give you three reasons for why we can celebrate and be joyful. And I'm going to use the Christmas story, because here in the Christmas story, there are two big celebrations, one by the shepherds and one by the wise men. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me again to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. And we are this morning concluding our 10-week sermon series entitled, Not First, Practicing Daily Spiritual Disciplines that Remind Me of My Place in This World. 
And so we learn from the shepherds and wise men this morning what it is they were celebrating. And from how they celebrate and what they celebrate, we'll draw out our three spiritual principles. Let's begin in Luke chapter 2, jumping down to verse 20. Look with me. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had, note this, heard and seen as was told them. The Bible tells us they were glorifying God. They were celebrating for what they heard and what they seen. Let's see what they heard. Go back to verse 8 of the same chapter. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Here it is. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is what they heard. You know the story well. The shepherds were tending to their flocks of animals by night. It was a normal night. And to their surprise, suddenly an angel appeared. And he tells them, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you great news. And what is that great news? Verse 12, a Savior. A Savior, Christ the Lord, has been born. Now, as I've mentioned before, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. All right? Christ comes from Christos, the Greek word that means the anointed one, the chosen one. And so what the angel was telling them is, I bring to you great news. The anointed one, the chosen one, has been born. The Hebrew word is similar. It's Mishaek. We know it as Messiah. And so they're saying the chosen one, the Messiah, has been born today. And the reason I'm making such a strong emphasis on this is that for generations... Perhaps for centuries, for the nation of Israel, they were looking for the Messiah. 400 years, in fact. There had been many who, in what we call the intertestamental time between the Old and New Testament, had claimed to be the Messiah, who had promised to lead the nation out of foreign oppression, but all failed. They brought hope only to have that hope dashed because they failed. And so I can imagine that the people were discouraged, wondering when the Messiah would come, the one they had been waiting for, the chosen one, the anointed one. And here is now a definitive statement from a real live angel. You may wonder why God didn't just send a prophet and declared that Jesus was born. This was such big news. That no one would believe what would differentiate this announcement of the Messiah versus others who have claimed to be Messiah. It was here a real live angel brought the news that the shepherds have been waiting for their entire lives. A generation with them had been waiting for. The nation, centuries had been waiting that the one true Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior has come and is born today. And that got them excited. In our culture today there are certainly a lot of announcements that gets us excited and we would celebrate if i were to announce to you that frozen 3 will come out next year some of you would shout with joy you're just suppressing it in i know you adults watch it and you enjoy it you won't admit it 
But I went to the Sunday school class and announced that. They'd be jumping up in joy, although that's not true. I was giving you an example. Or perhaps in the sports world, you remember what happened when they announced that Pacquiao would fight Mayweather. The fight they'd been waiting for. Or for the gamers out there, if I'd announce to you that they would have Fortnite 2. For the foodies out there, you know the announcement. You were excited a year before when they announced that Panda Express was opening in Manila. Which all my American friends find very funny because that's just a fast food place in America. Or for some of you who, who brave the traffic, if I were to announce to you, or can you imagine the day next year when they finally announce the completion of Skyway Phase 3? We'd probably throw a celebration, we're so happy. But I wonder why is it in our life today when we celebrate those things with such joy that the birth of the Savior doesn't elicit the same excitement and emotion. For the shepherd who heard the angel, they were celebrating that they heard there would be a Savior. Why? What differentiates the shepherd in their grand celebration of that great news and us today? For many of us, it's because the shepherds were looking for the Messiah. It was their version of announcing Panda Express would open. It's their version of announcing the new airport. They were looking forward to it. They had been looking for the Messiah. And now someone comes and says, he is here. He has been born. And perhaps that's why we don't celebrate as we should. We are not looking for him every day. Do we anticipate the Savior daily? Do we anticipate His work in our lives? And does our anticipation when we see Him cause us to celebrate this fact daily that Jesus Christ has come and not only on Christmas? You see, if you're taking notes, number one, here it is. Celebration reason number one. There is a Savior. There is a Savior. And His name is Jesus. You and I can celebrate every day because there is a Savior, and His name is Jesus. There was a wonderful singer and songwriter, a generation past, which is like 30 years ago. Her name is Sandy Patty, and she comes with a wonderful song, one of my favorites. The song is, There is a Savior. For the newer generation, if you are unfamiliar with that song, you can YouTube it. And I love what she writes uh, in one of the choruses. She writes these words, are there burdens in your heart? Is your past the memory that binds you? Is there some pain that you've carried far too long? Then strengthen your heart with His good news. There is a Savior and He has forgiven you. There is a Savior. You and I should be whooping and hollering as we wake up every morning. There is a Savior. His name is Jesus, and He lives in my heart. That is why we celebrate. Do you celebrate Him with the same joy and passion of the shepherds who anticipated and realized that He was now on earth? How do you practically do that? I know it's something that uh, we did when I was growing up in the U.S., but I don't see it much practiced here in the Philippines, although we have the longest Christmas season. But perhaps as you celebrate Christmas on the 25th or in the evening of the 24th, as you gather your family and friends, perhaps you can get a birthday cake for Jesus. Have you ever done that in your family? 
You get a birthday cake for Jesus, whether your children are young or whether they're old. Because that represents that as you explain to your child what Christmas is about, it's about his birthday, not about yours. Something to think about. Now, what did the shepherds experience that made them so excited to celebrate? Look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Verse 15. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. The shepherds were so excited that the Savior had come that they hurried, the Bible says, with haste to find Jesus. And what did they see? The Bible tells us they saw Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in a manger. Exactly what the angel had told them in verse 12. This was the confirmation that this baby is the Messiah, the Savior, the only baby in Bethlehem to be born in a manger. Now, what did they do when they came to the manger? We don't know. I have a lot of questions when I get to heaven. One of the questions I want to ask is I want to call one of those shepherds who were there. And I want to ask, what did you see? What did you do after you saw baby Jesus? What did the baby look like? Did baby Jesus cry? Was he glowing? Of course not. But somehow there, was no de- there were no details. How they worshipped. Nothing's recorded by Luke. The only thing recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 17 is that they saw him. And then they went out and shared the news with everyone of what they had seen. You see, I think Luke took out all of the details that were unimportant. And Luke is very detailed in his gospel. He took out what was unimportant and he focused on what was important. And what was important is that they saw him. They experienced him. They knew of his coming. It was announced to them. They made the effort to find Jesus. Think how disappointed they would be if they did not find Jesus. But they found Jesus and they saw him. They had an encounter with him. They experienced him. And it is that, the Bible tells us in verse 20, that filled their hearts with joy. You see, many of us can come mentally with the knowledge of Jesus Christ that there is a Savior, but unless you have encountered Him in an authentic, real way and experienced Him daily, then you won't think that there's anything to celebrate. You see, number two, celebratory reason number two, write this down. Experience the Savior. They experienced a Savior. The reason we can celebrate is that we have experienced a Savior. I told you this morning of a man by the name of Keith Hoikman, and I asked you, do any of you know him? I think none of you would know him. If I told you that uh, he was a man who served his country and he joined the U.S. Navy, uh, you may say, well, that's great. But that doesn't really resonate in my life. If I, I could tell you that he was a strong believer, and you could say, well, that's good. What if I told you he's my friend and I went to high school with him? You may say, well, that's good. I'm sure he's a good guy. 
but you wouldn't resonate with Keith Hoichman like I do. You see, I, I think about him every time I go swimming or go snorkeling in the ocean. Why? Because Keith Hoichman saved my life. You see, you may think me smart, but I was a pretty dumb teenager. And I decided one day to go snorkeling in the open ocean without knowing how to swim. I find it the greatest of irony that I was born in a country with 7,000 islands and my parents never thought it wise to teach me how to swim. But that's beside the point. I was a foolish, knuckle-headed high schooler. And so my buddies and I, we decided to go swimming in the ocean. Well, they were very good swimmers, all of them, American families. They had learned to swim when they were young. And I was very content with staying by the beach and just hanging. But you know how it is. They invited me, and this is the power of peer pressure. They invited me, come on, Steve, the water's great. The fish are beautiful. The water's clear. Come, come and swim, snorkel. And in my foolishness, I thought that I could snorkel without knowing how to swim. So with enough of their encouragements, I said, okay, I'll go out. And plus, I thought to myself, I'll just go up to where the water comes up to my chest. I won't go any deeper. And so I asked them, where's my life jacket? They said, ah, you don't need a life jacket. You'll float. Okay, that's good to know. I said, as I looked at their feet, I said, you've got fins. Where's my fin? Ah, you don't need fins. You're not going to go out real deep. You just float where you are. I said, okay. And uh, I grabbed a snorkel and goggles. And indeed, I put my face down, put my feet up, and I began to float. And it was beautiful. A lot of tropical fish, just clear water, and just enjoyed myself. And they swam out much deeper because they were experienced swimmers. And then I realized, well, I realized later, but they had forgotten to tell me something very, very important. And that was that when you snorkel, there will be times when the waves come over your snorkel, the water will get in, and you are supposed to blow the water out. They forgot to tell me that very important technique. So when the waves came and the water came into my snorkel, I thought I had gone down below the water line. I thought I was drowning. And I couldn't breathe, of course, with water in the snorkel, so I just drank the water. Because they didn't tell me to blow it out. So as I'm drinking this salt water, and as the waves came, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. And so I begin to panic. And so when you panic, you put your feet down, you want to stand up. Well, guess what? I floated to a place where there were a lot of corals and sea urchins. And without fins, they began to stick at my feet. And... I begin to panic, and I literally begin to drown. And it's so true. They, they, they tell you this, that everything goes in slow motion when you begin to drown. It did for me. And I had one thought, which I still remember. Two decades later, I thought to myself, these final thoughts, what a stupid way to die. What a dumb way to die. That was my final thought that I blacked out. Apparently, there was... Uh, uh, one of my high school friends who uh, had, had seemed to glance my way. The next thing I knew, Keith had grabbed me behind the arms and uh, brought me back up to shore, pumped some water out. 
and by doing so saved my life. You know, I never told my parents this story for years. I didn't want them to tell me, I told you so, but that's what happened. So whenever I am about to go into the pool or snorkel, I think about Keith. You see, my experience with a man by the name of Keith Hoichman is different from yours. You may know his name. I can tell you wonderful things about him. But unless you personally experience something he did for you, he won't hold the same value of friendship and impact as he does me. So it is with the Savior. You can talk all you want superficially about Jesus You can memorize all the trivia you want about the Christmas story. But unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus where you experience him in an authentic way, then you may not be able to celebrate as you should. When was the last time you really celebrated your experience with the Savior with all of the confidence and the energy and the excitement that you tell others about a good thing that happened to you? Where you run up to someone and you say, guess what? I'm now cancer-free. Guess what? I just want a brand new car, that sort of excitement. Guess what? I've experienced the true Savior today. And there should be no apologies for the excitement and the celebration you share if it's foundation upon Jesus Christ. Because no one celebrates in secret. And yet so many of us in our culture today We celebrate publicly everything except when it comes to Jesus and our spiritual walk with him, we celebrate in secret. If Jesus has changed you, if you truly accepted him, then celebrate as a way to make the world stand up and take notice. That is why we can celebrate every day. We've experienced the Savior. Now turn with me to Matthew quickly, Matthew chapter 2. And we'll take a look at something that takes place one or two years after the birth of Jesus. There were wise men, magi from the east, who saw a celestial phenomenon, a star, they call it a bright light. Some say the Shekinah glory. They saw it on the evening of Jesus' birth. And they saw the star, and it challenged them to travel far to seek Jesus. Now, how they made the connection between seeing a star and then traveling uh, to see the king who was born, we do not know how they made that connection. But they were on a mission to find this king, and they were on a mission to worship him. Of course, you know the story, and it will be talked about more in detail next week. But they came to Jerusalem, assuming that the king of the Jews would be born in the capital city of Jerusalem. But Herod the Great didn't know that the child Jesus was living just outside of Jerusalem in Bethlehem at the time. And so... In Matthew chapter 2, the Bible tells us Herod consulted his, his advisors and they were able to ascertain through prophecy that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, most likely still there, and that they were able to ascertain the very day the star appeared, signaling the birth of the Messiah. Herod then asks that the wise men go to Bethlehem to find the Messiah, and this is where we pick up our reading in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 2. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced, note this, with exceedingly great joy. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As the wise men left the palace of Herod, they saw the very star, the very celestial phenomenon, the perhaps the glory of God that they had seen when they first began their journey, move ahead of them and guide them to the very house where Jesus was living. And I point you to verse 10, where the Bible tells us they began to celebrate when? When they saw the star. The words that Matthew used were words of extreme description, trying to describe how happy these men were. Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. I remember seeing a, a Christmas pageant uh, of kids similar to what we had earlier. And in, in this rendition, kids will be kids. When they saw the star, they began to high-five each other. Now, I don't know what in your mind you've got an impression about these you know, learned wise men, always so regal in their robes. But perhaps those children are, are quite right in the exuberance and the excitement of what happens when they saw the star again. It wouldn't be outside the realm of impossibilities that they all begin to hug each other and begin to jump up and down. We have seen the star. We have seen the star. There it is. There is the star. That's what Matthew is trying to convey. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Screams of excitement. There it is. You see, their faith has been rewarded. And that's reason number three. Celebration reason number three. Faith rewarded. Their journey was one of faith. They did not see the star again after it appeared that first night. And I can only conjecture how that journey must have been if it took more than a year, year and a half, two years. Because I know myself, if I was one of the wise men on that journey, I'd be complaining every day. It's not worth it. We haven't seen the star in four months. Maybe we're all hallucinating. If I was with them, I'd say, you know what? Herod doesn't even know. Let's go home. Who wants to go to a little town called Bethlehem? We're wise men. We should be hanging out in the five-star hotel of Jerusalem. Not going to the, some podunk suburb. If I was with them, I would be the one telling them what a waste of time let's go we've misjudged this and yet the bible tells us they persevered they had faith no wonder they rejoice with exceeding great joy because when you have lived by faith and you see something realized it brings joy their faith was rewarded you know, it's interesting. Do you ever think about this? In heaven, you don't need faith. In heaven, you don't need faith. When we go to heaven, whether in the rapture or when we leave this earth, we won't need faith. Why? Because we will see Jesus face to face. All that we have had faith in and hoped for will be fully realized. And as one songwriter writes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That's why there is a big difference 
between the funeral of a believer, a Christian, and one who is not. I've been asked by Buddhists many times, why is it that in your memorial services of one who's passing away, why is there such joy and laughter? It should be a sad time. Why is there such joy? And it's because when one passes from this earth, it is faith rewarded. It is a graduation from this life into what we have longed for. And it is one of celebration when we end our life here, as we close our eyes to this life, we open them up to all heaven rejoicing, welcoming us home, and we see the face of Jesus, the one we have longed for. That's why I've told Cindy, planning way, way ahead, my funeral, I want it to be full of laughter. I want a lot of joy. I hope some will cry, but... I don't need a lot of crying. I want people to be happy for me. And I really mean that. I, I love to laugh. You know that. And I just want so much laughter that everyone's going to wonder who in the world just died. And wonder about the Jesus he believed in. To elicit that sort of reaction. Maybe that should be your perspective as well. Faith realized and rewarded is a call for celebration. Now, you may think I'm crazy. You may think I'm crazy. Where do you get this stuff? You know, it's in the Bible. Psalm 126, verse 1 to 3. It's a psalm of ascent. The exiles have come back. They were discouraged if they will ever come and see their beloved temple again. They had faith in the prophetic words of people like Isaiah that they would come back. And here's what the Bible says in Psalm 126, verse 1 to 3. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, the exiles came back. We were like those who dream. It was like a dream for us. It was a dream fulfilled, verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were glad. Faith realized, faith rewarded, called for celebration and laughter. My friends, if you are looking at your life and you see your faith rewarded by God's grace and mercy every day, as you should then you and I should be celebrating every day. The joy and the laughter talked about in Psalm 126 should be on our lips. I'm not saying we can't feel bad at times or feel discouraged. But even in those very difficult times, there is a call for celebration because our faith will be rewarded if it already has not in small ways here on earth. A reason to celebrate faith rewarded. Sometimes I think that we as Christians, we know the truth, but we forget the most basics. And so we surround ourselves with superficial means of celebration. And then sometimes you have that feeling where in the midst of great celebration, there's still great sadness. 
because I think the celebration that we have built up in our lives are superficial. They're empty. They're not rooted in what people should truly celebrate. The wise men and the shepherd certainly did. They celebrated spiritual things. The Savior has come. The Savior is here. The Savior has been experienced. Our faith has been rewarded. I point you back at Luke chapter 2 very quickly. And do you remember the excitement with which the shepherds expressed what they heard and what they saw? The Bible tells us in verse 18, and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds didn't come up to their friends and say, oh, by the way, the Savior has come. By the way, the Messiah has come. I heard it from a angel. I bet you they were excited. Do you know what happened? I saw an angel tonight. And the Messiah has come. We saw him. He moved our hearts in such a way that I could not wait to tell you. So I came tonight. I came early in the morning. Oh, there is cause for celebration. Is that the attitude you have as you celebrate Christmas? That you can't wait to leave this place, to go back to your families and friends and your business associates, renewed by the Christmas story again, to excitedly tell them with the same enthusiasm of the shepherds and the wise men, where they marvel, probably to the point of, are these guys crazy? But it's okay. They marveled with astonishment, the Bible tells us, the things that were told it. It was personal to them. But it doesn't have to be Christmas any time of the day, any time of the year. Perhaps you can gather a group of your friends, family members, treat them to a meal. No one ever turns down a free meal. And then because you were paying for the meal, you, they ask you, what are we celebrating? You, you tell them, I'll tell you at the dinner time. I'll tell you at the meal time. And it's not your birthday. And it's not your wedding anniversary. It's just a time as they gather there and they enjoy a meal where you tell them, I'm celebrating Jesus. I'm celebrating Jesus tonight and what he means in my life. And let me tell you my encounter with him. That is cause for celebration, and that's why I'm treating you to an amazing meal tonight, because I'm celebrating Jesus in my life. I hope that will change your perspective when you get together as a community. You and I, of all people, have a true reason to celebrate. The Savior has come. We've experienced him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is a reminder to me, and I hope to those who have heard, of the reasons we celebrate this life. Your grace and mercy allows us to celebrate many things, but true celebration is rooted in a Savior born to die for us, a Savior 
who we can call friend. One who will not let us down, but will realize and reward our faith as you have so revealed in the scriptures. May we as the church, the body of Christ, every day have a reason to celebrate that through the countenance of our face and through the attitude we display, the world will be in amazement and ask us, who is this Jesus you believe in? And we can tell them with great enthusiasm about our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.